I have that right. I'm free to visit churches and ask for money to support my ministry. I have all that freedom, but I've denied every single one of those freedom for the sake of being as effective as possible in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. We did not come this far to just break down and lose now. I'm a winner. I'm going to win. Welcome to the Don't Knock It podcast, where we address misconceptions about Jesus' character, his church, and his word. By doing this, we hope to encourage you to delight in Christ before dismissing him, to know him before knocking him. I'm your host, Chris Ramirez, and we will be continuing our chapter-by-chapter overview through 1 Corinthians, and joining me to address Paul's surrender of his apostolic rights in chapter 9, an episode I'm calling Support for Church Leaders, I have my brother in Christ, JT Smith. How are you, bro? Doing good, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for taking the time out of your your Saturday to be with me today. So before we get into the actual um, exposition of the text, would you mind telling the listeners a little bit about your story and what is currently on your heart? Yeah, ooh, big question. Grew up a uh, son of a pastor, uh, moved to Arkansas to help plant a church, moved back when I was 17. Um, grew up seeing all of the way that church goes, seeing some, specifically for this podcast, seeing some people paid and some people not paid and the struggles they're in. Yeah. And then for a while rejecting that and being like, I don't want to be a part of that stuff, mm-hmm. you know. But then just experiencing the call where like, man, there's nothing else I want to do. I want to be a part of the church. I want to serve the church. I care for the church body. And so surrendering to Jesus in that way, and I've been doing that ever since. Uh, it's been great. I've been married for coming up on five years. I got two kids, a three-year-old, he's about to turn four, and a 10-month-old about to turn one. Nice. And they're savages, but we <laughs> love them. And... uh yeah. Now, uh, we actually just recently moved churches. We're here at uh, Simi Valley Center Point, and I do the worship thing here, and that's a lot of fun, and nice. uh, drives me to lean on the Lord more. <laughs> yeah. Appreciate that. So so what exactly about the the aspect of, of seeing people in the church get paid and seeing some not get paid Mm -hmm. what about that kind of because obviously currently if i'm not mistaken you're on staff part-time part-time yeah yeah yeah. so how how did you see that as a negative thing Uh, if if you did yeah no i totally did uh and it was it was growing up for a while because there was this like there was this weird perception of like you getting paid to do something now you have to show up and do that thing whether you want to or not Mm -hmm. and so getting paid to do something can almost muddy the waters on whether they're called, whether there's actually joy in that. And what I saw, which I don't think a lot of people saw, was the behind the scenes. I saw the pain in the pastor's face as he's trying to study for Sunday, but he's also trying to counsel this couple that's probably going to divorce while he's working a 50, 60 hour a week plus job, trying to manage all that stuff. And he's got his own kids and his own marriage work. And so he's just divided all over the place. Um, and yet every Sunday when he showed up and he taught, there was something that was genuine about him in, in mm-hmm. that joy and the way that he did it. And I knew that he did it for free. And so there was that that impacted me where it was like, if this guy can do this, you know, there's genuine joy in that. Even though there's pain, it's authentic. Yeah. Whereas some of the guys that I've seen that were paid to do it, uh, and, and again, it's a weird perception, but like they're 
going to conferences and teaching. They're writing books. I'm like, you don't look like you're struggling. Yeah. You don't look like you're all in this, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, you look like you're taking money from people and then living your life the way you want to. And that was my perception because I didn't know what was going on behind the scenes yeah. for them. So that was a big struggle for me for a while. And I flip-flopped. Um, you know, you, you see like little house on the prairie and you know, the, the pastor's there, but he's also like has these different jobs that he does, mm-hmm. you know? And so it's like, look, we've been bivocational for a long time, yeah. you know? And my hat goes off to guys that are bivocational and keep treading to an extent. I still am bivocational. It's just kind of different now. Cause there's that part-time aspect, but those guys that even like we'll dive into to an extent that, that go, I actually don't want to take that mm-hmm. from the church. I choose to be bivocational. Let's send that money elsewhere. I think that there's something to be admired in that now. And so, uh, but yeah, my perception for a while was like, that's whack. Why, why did we, do, why would we do that? Yeah. You know, yeah. it is, I think you, you mentioned like the, the waters being muddied. Mm-hmm. And I think part of the reason why that happens is because the Christian life is, is founded and grounded on service, right. which in when we think about it, especially in Christian circles, it's supposed to be free. Right. Right. Things, Service, servant, slave. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Like you're supposed to do what you do for the church for free. Right. Like you shouldn't have the audacity to ask for monetary um, provision right. at all. Right. Um, and if you do, if you get to, if you muster up the courage to do that and ask for some help, um, it's almost like, this sense of like, oh, now you're being greedy. Like right. this is, this is, you're supposed to be a Christian minister and now you're asking for money. Right. And obviously like on top of all that, you add the the stereotype mm-hmm. of pastors being money hungry. Uh, my co-laborer at, at my church, his name's Joshua. And when he makes the announcement of, of the offering, mm-hmm. he says, you know, we're not trying to put your conscience in an arm bar to get you to give. Right. That sounds because, like Josh. Yeah. <laughs> And so, so there's this, obviously he's addressing the, the common stereotype of like, oh yeah, we're not, we don't pass a buck around Mm -hmm. because we don't want you to feel guilty into giving. Mm -hmm. And so there's that aspect of it on top of this, uh, common perception of, of Christian service being for free. Mm -hmm. And so in first Corinthians, starting at the end of chapter eight, and going into chapter 9, Paul moves from addressing how arrogant believers have been using their rights as Christians. Mm-hmm. Right? He begins the, the conversation of food sacrifice to idols, and if you, have the, if you have the freedom or the Christian liberty to do that or not to do that. And then now in chapter 9, he puts himself out there as an illustration of what ma- a mature use of, liber- of liberty mm-hmm. should look like. Right. He presents himself as being free to receive financial support from this church, mm-hmm. um, yet he sets it aside in order to achieve a higher goal, mm-hmm. which is not hindering people from receiving the gospel. Right. Which it brings to mind some churches where they, they, they hire on a pastor, and then you have, whether it's a congregational that or an elder board or something, there's, I've heard it happen time and time again, um, where a pastor will bring the word faithfully, honestly, graciously, but unashamed, Mm -hmm. uh, unashamedly, if we could use that word. And it ruffles the feathers and they threaten the job. Yeah. You know, they fire. And so like, there's that aspect too, where like, 
I think that's what a, a caution for some people that why they don't want to be paid is because now if I allow you to pay me, my life in a way is at your mercy. Mm-hmm. And if you woke up on the wrong side of the bed, you know, and some of these churches usually, and it's, 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 I've heard it more like in the South, you know, yeah. um, I grew up in Arkansas, so, mm-hmm. you know, you hear a lot of things, Yeah, but that was always like this thing that kept coming up is the the board of directors the elder board the congregation they didn't like him and it was like well, well why and you a lot of the stories it was shocking how many times it was like well actually he confronted sin as sin and you're like and they kicked him out That's he did his job <laughs> yeah. like this is what you hired him to do he got fired he got fired for doing what he was hired to do right that's right. crazy yeah and so like i think that was another level too that like tripped me out with it but it's one of those things where I think we're, we're diving into Paul. Paul even gets that kind of thing where he's like, I'm going to preach the word yeah, and I'm not going to let anything stop me, mm-hmm. you know? Well, let's get into it. Let's, let's do get it. into it. Um, if you don't mind, um, chapter nine in its entirety, what version do you read? CSB. CSB. Okay. Just so I know like where I'm at. Okay, cool. Okay. Ready? Yep. Here we go. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have not I seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work? In the Lord, if I am not an apostle to others, at least I am to you, because you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. My defense to those who examine me is this. Don't we have the right to eat and drink? Don't we have the right to be accompanied by a believing wife, like the other apostles, the Lord's brothers, and Caiaphas? Cephas? Peter? Peter? Yeah. <laughs> that guy. Uh-huh. That, that dude. Yeah. Or do only Barnabas and I have no right to refrain from working? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat its fruit? Or who shepherds a flock and does not drink the milk from the flock? Am I saying this from a human perspective? Doesn't the law also say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses. Do not muzzle an ox while it treads out grain. Is God really concerned about oxen? Isn't he really saying it for our sake? Yes, this is written for our sake. Because he who plows ought to plow in hope, and he who threshes should thresh in hope of sharing the crop. If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it too much if we reap material benefits from you? If others have this right to receive benefits from you, don't we even more? Nevertheless, We have not made use of this right. Instead, we endure everything so that we will not hinder the gospel of Christ. Don't you know that those who perform the temple services eat the food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the offerings of the altar? In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should earn their living by the gospel. For my part, I have used none of these rights, nor have I written these things that they may be applied in my case. For it would be better for me to die than for anyone to deprive me of my boast. For if I preach the gospel, I have no reason to boast, because I am compelled to preach. And woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For this I do willingly. I have a reward. But if unwillingly, I am entrusted with commission. What then is my reward? To preach the gospel and offer it free of charge, and not make full use of my rights in the gospel. Although I am free from all and not anyone's slave, I have made myself a slave to everyone in order to win more people. To the Jews, I became like a Jew 
to win Jews. To those under the law, like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, to win those under the law, those who are without the law, like one without the law, though I am not without God's law, but under Christ, the law of Christ, to win those without the law. To the weak I became weak in order to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that I may be every possible means, so that I may by every possible means save some. Pardon me. Mm-hmm. Now I do all this because of the gospel, so that I may share in the blessings. Don't you know that the runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way to win the prize. Now everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. They do it to receive a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. So I do not run like one who runs aimlessly or box like one beating the air. Instead, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Amen. That is the word of the Lord. Thank you for reading that lengthy chapter. Um, <laughs> what came to mind as you were reading what we were talking about earlier of of the threat of the deacon board or or the elder board or right. the whoever it may be, or even if if you're I think it's if, if you're a Presbyterian if you if you're congregation led, mm-hmm. there's this threat of your financial provision being ripped out from under you if they disagree with you right and here paul outlines how he has every right to demand money from them like every right and it's actually the lord's directive because he refers back to something in the old testament and so i feel like this passage right here is such a cloak of security for the ministers of the gospel like i feel like before i would even be hired on staff at a church, I would address chapter nine. Like, hey, just so you know, by God's law, I am entitled right. to some financial provision. Right. Based off of what he what he says here. Obviously we're not apostles, so he has a different like his level of obligation is a lot more ingrained in in the scriptures Mm. but nonetheless he's still a minister of the gospel Mm -hmm. and so and does anything kind of stand out in the first let's do first two verses okay yeah i like that that paul tends to ask these questions and you know full well he's about to answer him yeah you know um but i think it's interesting because so i was i was listening to various people uh preach on this Mm -hmm. and one of the things that they that they kept bringing up was the apostleship yeah and they got hung up in you know the the 12 and then the 11 and then matthias replacing judas and then you know all the arguments about that Mm -hmm. but he's an apostle to the gentiles and he's such a humble dude and yet he has to go through this and so like uh, the thing that connected with me about it first off is like as a minister of the gospel to be humble and, and like so humble where what you've penned, God's de- decided to use you to pen scripture. Mm-hmm. And in that is your defense of your apostleship. Yeah. And yet you're so humble. Like it's weird. It's like a humble brag in a way. Mm-hmm. But he does this and, and it's it's clear. I mean, you could read this and you could read like, am I not free? Have I? Am I not an apostle? Like you could read it or you could read it like, which I think is more in line with where his heart's at. It's this brokenhearted like, am I not free? 
Yeah. You know, a- a- am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus? Like I, he's he's reminding. Like I've shared this stuff with you. You guys know my story, right? You know, mm-hmm. it, it's this. Where are you coming from with this stuff? Why do you believe it? Yeah. You know. Yeah, because his his apostleship was um, he was being indicted. Mm-hmm. They they began second guessing his apostleship, but but yes, you you bring up a very good point that he has a pastoral heart mm-hmm. in the sense of like. Guys, you you know who I am. Mm-hmm. In fact, you you guys mm-hmm. you guys wouldn't be believers. You guys wouldn't be believers if right. it wasn't for me. Right. Like if we're going to indict a leader, a pastor, you know, since the the subject matters is primarily, you know, pain ministers and that kind of stuff. So we're mm-hmm. we'll, we'll, let's put it in our context. The the congregation, the elder, whoever have decided to pick on their pastor. Yeah. You know, now. What do they actually have against him that's founded? He's not like, you guys are taking away my livelihood. His actually, his argument is, I didn't take anything from you. Yeah. Where are you coming at me with this stuff? <laughs> yep. Where are you coming? You know, but but it's it's this what's the fruit of his ministry? Mm-hmm. You know, and I think we could look at that and go, well, I mean, what's the fruit of that one pastor who had that affair, you know, and and he felt, well, didn't his ministry have fruit? You know, and like we could, we could, we could play those things. But Paul, his argument here, and what he's even talking about is his own character, yeah. you know, as we progress. And, and so he's talking about this, have I not pretty much truly encountered Jesus? Mm-hmm. Don't you know that about me? Haven't we shared in this? Has not my story of encountering Jesus echoed some of your stories too? You know, maybe you right. haven't necessarily seen the risen Lord in the way that he has, mm-hmm. but you've had an encounter with Jesus too that transformed your life. You know, and so he's reminding them of that fruit that he's shared with them by asking these questions. I mean, verse two, you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. Yeah. I have labored hard for you. You've borne fruit. He's their proof. Right. Like the very same, his proof is indicting him right. on that work. It's like the wax seal going, nah, man. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you you didn't do this to me. It's right. Like, well, yeah, it would be illogical to bring up that type of indictment because he's actually the one who allowed them to come to the Lord. Mm-hmm. Like he is the, that word seal is kind of like a, it's like a legal term. Mm-hmm. It is binding. Mm-hmm. Like you, we cannot be separated. So you cannot kick me out. Right. It, it's amazing. You know, even, even verse three, my defense is this. So he asked these questions and are you not my work? Which, I mean, you, you walk through it, work, seal, there's this, it's legal, it's labor. Mm-hmm. There's there's so much work that went into the Corinthian church. And, and and I know you guys have already talked probably about the culture and the history and all this stuff. And so like when you hear that stuff, like you're like, yo, dog, like you you had your work cut out for you. Yep. <laughs> you know? He did. And yet, are you not my work in the Lord? I did the work. I put the time in there. I loved on you guys. I still love on you guys. If I didn't love on you, do you think I'd be writing you letters? You know, look at these long letters that I write you, mm-hmm. you know, and theoretically there's like roughly four letters maybe that's out there depending on what you believe you know so he wrote a lot of letters if not more letters to them than anyone any other group we know of than anyone else yeah yeah and 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 there's just love it's Mm -hmm. so much love in fact i'm gonna write this letter so that when i show up we can have joy yeah i don't want to come and be papa i want to come and like i want i want us to i want us to have fun yep you know i want us to love so please hear me out 
it's like it's like a it's like a father being indicted by their children that he's he's not being a good dad yeah yeah the family's looking at you and like you suck and he's like what are you talking about i I put food on the table (laughs) i put clothes on your back i have a roof over your head like i I prayed with you when it came time for for bed i i put the boo-boos on uh, i mean the band-aids on your boo-boos i carried you when when you were too tired to walk like i i I missed work to take you to a doctor's appointment yeah i I was at your games like and 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 even beyond like the physical i've done but i've made it known through my actions through my words through the time spent i love you yeah so much and you're actually now going to argue that i'm selfish and prideful and out for my own gain crushing yeah like that's gotta the family divorces dad not mom and dads you know what i mean like that that's like it's mm. yeah it's 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 deep yeah um but i think as we as we bring up this this attitude of indictment right they're questioning his apostleship he he places chapter nine or he places what he talks about in chapter nine in the middle of talking about christian liberties Mm -hmm. and so what he's essentially i think in my opinion the reason why he does that is because his use of his rights Mm -hmm that doesn't authenticate his apostleship. It's not necessarily how he uses his rights. And so the reason why he he brings this up is because their use of rights do not authenticate their position in the family of God. So you cannot, just because you have this this freedom in Christ, that doesn't make you a Christian. Because if, if they begin putting those Christian freedoms on someone else, and saying like, actually, you're not a real Christian if you don't do what I do. Right. If you don't feel secure in doing this thing. Right. I think that's why he includes this because it's it's an identity issue. For they're, sure. They're placing certain standards on other people and also on their, on themselves and saying this this is the true mark mm-hmm. of a Christian. When in reality, the true mark of being a Christian is faith expressed in service. Right, expressed in the laying down of rights so that no one may be hindered. And this they will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another, right? And mm-hmm. like it, you, you say the position of the chapter two, and it, it makes me think of right in the next couple chapters, you know, this is like a precursor to 1 Corinthians 13. Yeah. You know, like when you walk through this and he talks about not only did I not say no to this, say no to this, say no to this, so that the gospel is there, but then he, he shifts, and we'll get there, but he shifts into... I went to this person and I went to that person and I was I was to a Jew and I was to uh, someone under the law and without the law and the weak, all of which he never brought up the strong. But anyways, that's something for a second mm-hmm. later. But yeah. and then you see love is patient, love is kind, it does not boast, you know, believes all things, it bears all things. And so he's like, Corinthians, here's here's what you're living mm-hmm. and here's what you're saying, and here's how I've lived. And here's what I'm saying. And then this is actually how we're supposed to be. Because he goes from that Christian living into the spiritual gifts, which, you know, it's like superpowers. Yep. And, and, but then even changes that in the middle to, but remember love. And so it's like, hey, love. Hey, love. Hey, don't forget. Hey, hey, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't, it's still you, about love. You, it's, you can speak in tongues all you want. You can prophesy as much as you want. <laughs> it's all annoying if there's but love. It's literally noise yeah it's all noise yeah if it's not rooted and grounded in love 
Yeah, I, I liked it, especially that that verse before we derail too far. But like, yeah. you ever seen like a kid, you know, like, and I'm talking like like a two, three year old get up on the drum set at church or something like afterward, yeah. and they just start smashing just something. Chaos. And, you're just, and you're like, I don't know whose kid that is, but like, get them off. And then you realize that's your kid, <laughs> you know, and you're like, dang it. <laughs> Someone get that guy. <laughs> Some, I don't know whose kid that, you who's, know. Whose son is that anyway? Yeah. Yeah. Hun, I got to, oh, you start praying for somebody. Yeah. But yeah, it's just like it. It, it comes back to that, to that love. I love how that's so clearly expressed all throughout this chapter. Mm-hmm. Even though it's very clear he's brokenhearted, there's still this, I mean, you can't have the type of love that we're called to if you don't do what he's talking about. I mean, at the end, he says he disciplines his body and brings it under control. You can't love if you don't have self-control. Yeah. You know? Indeed. Indeed. Um, we mentioned... Um, he's talking about being a minister of the gospel as an apostle, right? Right. And we brought up a father, right? So that's one, I guess, social status. Mm-hmm. Um, but in verses three through seven, mm-hmm. he brings up three types of of jobs okay. in society, right? There's the, he brings up the military, right? He mm-hmm. brings up the uh, someone being a soldier. Mm-hmm. He brings up uh, someone being, working on a vineyard. Mm-hmm. And, and then someone who is a shepherd, right? Mm-hmm. Someone who tends to the flock. And so with those things, still asking his rhetorical questions, right. he's saying, are any of these people, any of these workers not able to benefit from their work? Right. right? Like how terrible, how terrible would it be to bring it up into, into uh, a more practical sense? Mm-hmm. How horrible would it be if the government did not compensate those who were in the military. Right. And obviously there's still a lot of um, debate with that, how they're not doing enough and things like that. But sure. what if they, they come back from serving and they just didn't do a thing for them? Right. Right. So we're not paying you at all. There was you no, know? there was no incentives. Right. You're, you're not getting paid to be a soldier. You're not getting paid when you come back and, and you know, you're on reserves or whatever. Your family's got to figure it out. If you have a family, mm-hmm. uh, but go and potentially die for the country. Yeah. Yeah. It, it would be terrible and sad. Uh, I think of, I don't know if this is the right way to think about it, but like, you know, the 300 movie with the Spartans, like mm-hmm. they're farming to a certain extent or something. Like, I don't know really what they do before they go off to war, mm-hmm. but there's that like, so I brought more soldiers than you, his friend says. And he's like, what's your occupation? He's like, I'm a, I'm a butcher. I'm a baker. I'm, you know, this, a, a pot guy. Uh, what, not, not, um, what, not a pot guy. What are they called? Uh, the people that shape the clay in uh, the a thing. potter, a potter. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the pot guy. I was, yeah. I was a pot guy. <laughs> right. And, uh, and then he goes, you know, Spartans, what's your occupation? And they're just like, Rawr! he's yeah. like, I brought more soldiers than you. But that's what we're talking about is if they didn't get paid, they'd have to be bakers. They'd have to be all this stuff. And then they wouldn't be able to spend the time to train. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't be able to spend the time to learn military tactics. The The defenses would be weaker. Like all of these things on top of they're disgruntled because now you're ripping them away from their family and they're the ones that are, we're supposed to be providing for their family. Yeah, You know what I mean? And right. And so, yeah, it's like, no, if they're going to serve... This should be their profession. We should pay them for it. Mm. Their life should be centered on this. And if their life is that, 
which again feeds into the argument, but like we should pay them a healthy compensation so that they know their family's getting taken care of, even if they're going to go die, even Mm -hmm. if they know they're going to go die, you know? Yeah. Um, So that they can, we got to make sure that he's provided for, he or Mm -hmm. she's provided for so that their work, their focus and their undivided attention can be on doing their work well. Right. Because if you even just kind of sticking with the military aspect, if their focus is gone, Mm -hmm. their lives are at stake. Well, and that feeds, I think, right into the vineyard one too, because if they're not focused as they're tending, you're not going to have good grapes. You're not going to have good wine. The process is going to break down. Everything's going to suck because this person um, who's tending your vineyard, well, they're fatigued. They're hungry. Their their brains aren't firing on the chemical. If they can't actually reap the benefits of that vineyard, if they can't be fed mm-hmm. by the by some of the work of their hand, you're gonna get a terrible product because even if they want to, they can't keep up with the demand if they're not fed. Yeah. And so that focus uh, really comes into play there too. That like the tender care of taking care. Well, if you're I've had, I mean, I don't know if other people have had it, but I've been tired where like all of a sudden like you get like these weird like spasms, you know, or you drop stuff, you know, Mm -hmm. you trip, like you neglect things because I got, you know, a hundred yards of this vineyard left, but I'm just so tired. Yeah. I'm sure it's fine. And what if there's like all these parasites and stuff, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like they need to be fed so that they're energized so they can focus and do this delicate work well, Yeah, you know? And that's that's the principle. That's the principle that that Paul uses Deuteronomy twenty five verse four when he quotes it in uh, verse nine, where where he says, "For it is for it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing." And so he intended to communicate a specific principle, and it's something that we've that we've kind of explained already. If we take the ox, and if he cannot eat the grain mm-hmm. as he's doing the work. As you mentioned just now, he will naturally lose energy to continue working. Mm-hmm. If the minister in the church is muzzled, not only will he not benefit from the fruit of his work, mm-hmm. which is seeing people be saved and seeing people grow, he'll get burnt out yeah, and slowly come to an end. Yes. Yes. And, and he won't be able to study well. I was thinking about this. I was like, okay, so how, how would how would you convey this to somebody who maybe they don't fully understand the the church in that way, mm-hmm. right? Well, the primary roles of a pastor to study the word and pray for the people, right. right? Secondary is meet with people, discipleship, you know, in those ways. When you go to the doctor, do you want the 21-year-old med school student? Do you want the four-year-old that's playing dress up? Mm-hmm. Do you want the 16-year-old that's studied medicine, knows anatomy well, that has no practical application? Like, you go to the doctor, you want a doctor. You want someone who's done the school, who's done the studying, who's passed the test. And and preferably, we all want someone with those nice reviews where Mm -hmm. they were kind, gentle, you know what I mean? We want someone who is a professional. But if you have someone that's bivocational, well, they're split now. 
you know? Yeah. Um, and, and we have, I think, many pastors and teachers out there in the churches that are well-educated. They have masters in divinity. They have their Bible studies, you know, that some of them have PhDs in these things. And like, it's amazing. But some of them in that are still bivocational, yeah. you know, and, and they have a wide variety of jobs. Whereas if we were able to truly sit there and pay them a healthy wage, even for like, let's say guys like us, we're mm-hmm. young. And I think maybe we want to continue school. I mean, we, we would love if the church came to us and said, we're going to pay you full time. You know, like, yeah, my yeah. guy, <laughs> you know, for sure. That'd I, be great. It would be awesome, right? And, and, and in that, maybe even some of the stipulation for us young guys would be, we want you to become more educated in the role that we're setting for you. Mm-hmm. But you take someone who's bivocational, working full time, right? Like someone like yourself, you're married, you got a little one, uh, you do stuff at the school, you do a lot of stuff at the school, you do a lot of stuff at church, and mm-hmm. you got this this podcast going. Now, what if we were to add full-time student on top of that for a bachelor's or a master's or a PhD? You would die, Yeah, right? Uh, like yeah, Definitely. It, you'd be so divided. And so to to remove that and go, I want you to be focused on these things. And, and I want to care for you as you focus on those things because you're caring for our souls. You want to go to church. You want to go to counseling. You want to go to therapy, led by, counseled by, taught by a professional. Mm-hmm. And how can we do that if we're not supported? Yeah. You know, and I think that's also kind of his argument in this is like, this is their profession shouldn't they reap the benefits of their profession to continue in their profession for the benefit of their, essentially their consumers and those that they're protecting or their bosses? I mean, the shepherd isn't, he's usually someone's shepherd. He's not normally, this is my flock so much. Like he's paid to do this job. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that whole concept of sharing in, mm-hmm. in what the ministry provides, right? The benefits I heard this uh, Warren Wisby quote where he nice. says, where he says the ox had plowed the soil in preparation for sowing, and now he was treading out the grain that had been harvested. Paul had plowed the soil in Corinth. He had seen a harvest from the seed he had planted. It was only right that he enjoyed some of the fruits of that harvest. Mm-hmm. And so there's that, that beautiful. So let's, let's talk about that for a little bit. What is the benefit of the ministry? The things that kind of propel us forward right? It's seeing people, for me specifically, it's just seeing people grow. Right. The, their eyes light up right. as they're listening to the message and they're like, I never, I never, I've never heard that before. Yeah. And that blessed me greatly. Like, right. thank you. Yeah. I, I think the thing that really excites me is when I'm seeing people begin to step up in a genuine way. Like mm-hmm. they've been sitting, they've been fed and now they're going, okay, now how, how do I get involved? Yeah. Um, and then they start getting involved in that serving. I love seeing like that part of the growth. Like it's amazing when you see someone come to Christ. And again, I grew up in the church. Like I said previously, there's a level of uh, skepticism that I bring to every table I sit at, mm-hmm. you know? And so like, okay, cool. Someone came to Christ and I'm like, all right, is it going to stick? Mm. Was that just an emotional moment? You know what I mean? And, and then, and then there's the people where okay, now, now, no, they're diving in, they're going for it. We had um, at, at Calvary Ventura where I was at before I came here, 
uh, was there for a long time. And, and one of the things that really lit up my, made me excited for serving mm-hmm. was we'd been praying for young adults and young families. And over, I was there for about eight years. And over that time frame, we saw them show up. And there was one particular young man recently that he he showed up, I think, at the beginning of the year. And by the time I, I had left, he was serving, he was on fire. And when he came in, you could see it in his face that it just, he looked beat up by life. Mm-hmm. And he was young, you know? And so you're kind of like, like you're looking at him and you're like, dude, like you lived a life or something. Like, yeah. What happened to you, you know? Yeah. But to see him go from this, depressed and you see it all over him to lighten his eyes and went on a mission trip and is serving and just where can I get and he's just he's hungry to do and to learn and all that um that was one of the the biggest joys for me Mm -hmm. um was to see that and then even to see some people show up and they're they're okay you know what you're talking about but then something tanks them. Something happens in their life. Sin takes them down, pass it, whatever. They got to deal with it. And that's a point where a lot of people just, that makes or breaks you. Yeah. And to see people rise back up, you know, the the, the restoration that God does in people. Mm-hmm. Um, those are things that get me excited because we're seeing people truly go, no, I want to follow the way of Jesus. I want to be a disciple of Jesus. And it's going to suck but this is the way forward, you mm-hmm. know? And, and so those things get me excited, watching them serve, watching them do things. Oh yeah, I'm, you know, evangelizing over here, have this conversation with this person. Went on a date with this girl and we're never going to date again. However, the conversation was great and I got to share the gospel and you're just like, awesome. Yeah. Where'd you meet her though? But like, awesome. Yep. You know? <laughs> um, so like those things are really what, what uh, get me excited. Mm-hmm. But I, I think also one of the things that is, awe-inspiring and exciting. I think we could probably both agree on the, on this one. Not that we don't agree on the other things, but the fact that God would want to use us. Mm. Like, yep. God wanted to use Jeremiah, and he experienced it, and then he also went through this pain. I mean, nobody, you know, historically really ever got converted, maybe one, but like mm-hmm. deep pain, and yet God still wanted to use him in the middle of it. And he had to go through this, like, you're calling me, and it hurts. Because when if I shut up, it feels like a fire in my bones. Yeah. You know, so I have to do this thing, you know. And I think if he was to look back, he'd go, no, no, there was joy in my life, though I was depressed, because the Lord wanted to use me, and I was obedient to the call. And I think looking at our own lives, and we know us better than anyone else, and knowing that God knows us even better than that, and still he goes, I want to use you, Chris. Mm-hmm. I want to use you, JT. Like, that's like, I don't know why, man. But okay. And, and if no one else gets joy from the teaching or the leading worship or the serving, there's something about us being able to do it. And it doesn't always, I mean, sometimes other things override. So I don't want to make it sound like it's, you know, some fairy tale or yeah. whatever. But like, over romanticize it. Yeah. But like, there is something in there, right? That's mm-hmm. just like, this is awesome. And I think that's also why we do it bivocationally, too. Though we're pleading, don't make us bivocational for the rest of our lives. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Please. <laughs> Please. Please, though. Yeah, 
thank you for sharing that because there it's like a diamond in the rough it's like there's something beautiful there that we get to enjoy by simply meditating on the fact that we've been called yeah like i heard i heard from the lord he called me out of the miry clay and and prepared me in such a way to have something decent to say in front of people right because who would have thought that right (laughs) one of the two most feared things in the in all of humanity is death and public speaking and i get to preach about death and how that forms us into the cross so that we may experience an empty tomb publicly right doing it publicly and and you know when you mentioned like please don't please don't make make us (laughs) bivocational for the rest of our lives but at the same time we have paul who says at the end of verse 12 he says nevertheless Mm. because of all that Mm -hmm. nevertheless we do not we did not use this right but we endure all things so that we will cause no hindrance to the gospel of christ as hard as it may be right as hard as it may be i'm I probably will never experience the amount of rejection, the amount of persecution that Paul did. Right. 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 It's very rare if ever if it ever happens. Right. But even he and he says we. So mm-hmm. he uses he uses that plural pronoun. He says we. So it wasn't just him. Mm-mm. We endure all things. Not just right. some things. Not just, you know, uh having to go to having to go to bed hungry, but all things. Right. So that no not a single person will be able to say, he's doing this for monetary gain. Right. I'm not going to listen to him. All for all for that. Yeah. That's actually, I was thinking that, I'm glad that you brought it up. If it wasn't for Jesus, you see, and we're all skeptical of some of those, those like televangelists and those preachers and all that kind of, you know, mm-hmm. but like they're getting paid. Yeah. You know, would they do that if they weren't getting paid? If there wasn't a way for them to make a big buck, because mm-hmm. I mean, you know, some got a private jet. All right, dog, chill. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but like, he's doing this for free to make the point. You know, and so like when he talks about even reaping the benefit, and even like Warren Wiersbe, the quote that you said, the picture that it gave me is someone reaping a harvest and seeing almost like a harvest festival. Mm-hmm. And and the owner, if you will, of the field is, isn't even eating. He's sitting on the porch with his feet up, enjoying the enjoyment that everybody else is getting. Exactly. Like yep. that's the benefit. That's what Paul's asking to reap of everything is not a monetary. It's, I just, I just, I just want to see it. I just want to see, it. I just want to experience the mm-hmm. fact that you guys have this harvest, have this fruit, you know, and I do it for free because it's not about me. Yeah. And it's not about the money. It's about Jesus, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That enjoyment is something that mature believers are able to recognize. Like you don't get that if you're just searching for the the big buck, if you're mm-hmm. just searching for if you're just searching for pulpit time right you see that when you've put some hours in mm-hmm. where you're able to just sit back and although you're not involved directly mm-hmm. you just you get to sit back and you enjoy their enjoyment you right. you are edified because they're being edified right and and although you can you certainly can be involved and you certainly can reap that reap from that benefit um, Paul says in verse 15, he says, but I've used none of these things. Right. I could, 
Right. I sure could, but I haven't. In right. fact, in fact, he goes on to say, for it would be better for me to die. Right. To die than for any man to make my boast an empty one. Paul would rather die mm-hmm. than for anyone to think that he ministered for a financial motive. He right. would rather be dead than to be uh, a Kenneth Copeland. He would rather be dead right. than any other. Any I other didn't know if we were allowed to say t- names or anything on here, so no, I just we, alluded we to people. We certainly can. If, if, <laughs> in my mind, if you personally, if you sin publicly, you can be rebuked publicly. You get called out. Cool. In, in my mind. Yeah. Um, you see who I was talking about when yeah. I was talking about that plane. <laughs> yeah. So Paul, the Apostle Paul, would rather die. Right. Cease to live. Right. Than to be thought of as someone who is selfish right looking for that quick buck that is such a beautiful thing that i want to make sure we and we have that we focus on in this episode that that he certainly can but he won't that is such a big deal to be addressed in this episode because that is a common misconception in the church Mm. like we have to put that out there that yes we have every right to demand money from you mm-hmm. because of this right here. Yeah. But we struggle through the daily life of being bivocational mm-hmm. for that reason. Yeah. Like, so that we don't hinder you from coming because you have this inclination or this assumption that we just want your money. Yeah. It's, you know the New Testament principle on like tithing and giving and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's, it's all about it's all about the generous giver, the hilarious giver, the uh, out of the abundance of your heart, you know, and all yeah. and all that. And, and it would be so counterproductive. While it would be true, my um, the pastor at Calvary Ventura, he would say this all the time, and he would say it a lot in, in terms of marriage. But I think that there's this this level, you know, here at, at, at Center Point, marry the church, marry the city. That's the way that the mm. leadership looks at it. Um, and I love that. And so it really does make like a marriage dynamic with with the leadership, the elder team, and the church, you know. So when 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 Don would say this, he would always say, uh, you can be right in fact and wrong in spirit, right? Mm. And so you totally can, as a pastor um, and even a team of pastors, say to your church congregation, you need to pay this you need to give us this amount of money so that we can pay this guy or these guys to do the job you totally can't except how counterproductive would that be if you were to go to your wife and start making demands yeah right like i don't know about your wife but my wife's fiery and if i was like hey you need to do dot 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 and she would turn around because you're my wife this is your role i i could say that i could say submit i could say so many things and she will always turn around and go, you know what you need to do, <laughs> right? And yep. and so like it's counterproductive in that way. And so there's this point where can we demand? Sure. Mm-hmm. Should we demand? No. Should no. we lead by example of servitude and and even our own hilarious generosity and hospitality to inspire these biblical principles and this Christian living in our congregation, yes, 
you know? And, and I think that's one of the beautiful things here too, that he's saying is I so want you to understand the love that Jesus has for you. I want you to understand the gospel, the good news so much. So I'm going to remove myself and my needs. I don't even want you to think about it. I don't want you to think about it. And and, and verse 15, uh, Mm -hmm. he says, nor have I written these things that they may be applied to my case. Like, I don't don't even want you to consider it. And I'm not writing this now for that. Yeah, it's not a guilt trip. Right. I have a different point that I'm trying to make for you. I want you to think about these things, right? I want you to think about this Christian living. I want you to think about the love and the gospel. And it's all for the gospel. And I love you guys so much that I'm going to refrain you know, and I think that it's it's beautiful because there are pastors and leaders that have the conviction that they need to be, whether it's a season of time, it's the duration of their time at that congregation, or maybe for the rest of their lives, that they need to be bivocational so as not to burden the congregation so that the congregation can lay hold of the gospel, mm-hmm. so that the congregation can grow. Maybe um, the conviction is... is you know, minish, missions and, and other ministries. And, and that, uh, Don, the, the lead pastor at Calvary Ventura, that, that was always something he would bring up. He would always talk about, he doesn't take that. Um, we have, they have one guy on staff. Mm-hmm. Um, his name's Dan O'Friel. He's an amazing man. Dan O, shout out. Uh, <laughs> he might not listen. Anyways, but Don always maintained the Lord's called me to be bivocational right now. It is conviction of mine to be this. And he's like, as much as I would love to be full-time, that's not where we're at right now, and I'm okay with that. And and because of that, there comes certain limitations, and I think that congregations and and even people that walk into the church, you know, and, and see that their pastor or the pastor is bivocational, I think that there's certain, they need to be understanding and loving towards that. Uh, and there's other ways that they can meet the pastor's needs, whether the pastor wants them to or not. You can make them a meal, you know. You could like, you could Venmo them now, you know. And then what are you going to do? Arrogantly send it back, you know? Yeah. You put them in that like, you're going to take it or leave it, buddy. Yeah. You know. But like, there's ways to care for your pastor even if they're bivocational. But some of these guys are bivocational. And what I mean by that in this context is they don't, they have a full-time job outside of the church. Right. We probably should have right. uh, defined that earlier. Right, right. Because, I mean, there's bivocational, like, some some people are, are part-time and then part-time, you know, mm-hmm. they're part-time at the church, part-time elsewhere. Some people have, like, a, a salary that they're given, but they still have a full-time job. You know, there's so many bivocationals, which I guess all of them tie into that. But specifically talking about men that have a full-time job outside of the church. I've not met a guy that doesn't have the conviction for a season or for the rest of their life. I'm going to do this so it doesn't burden the church. Yeah. You know, and it's, it goes back to that father heart that we were talking about, that, that pastoral heart. Like I care for you so deeply. Mm-hmm. I don't need you to be concerned about my needs. And it's another topic to say the church should be concerned. But anyways, you yeah. know, like I, I think it's it's beautiful to that to see that, you know. But that's also, it's not the rule. In fact, Paul makes the statement here: the rule is, pay them, mm-hmm. care for them, make sure that they're good. Like in, in this argument, a soldier, and we talked about it previously, needs to be able to know that the family's taken care of. If he can put the family's physical monetary needs out of his mind so that he can be solely focused on defending or fighting for his country or nation or whatever, mm-hmm. then then that's good. And that's where we should be at. It doesn't mean that we should pay them where they can get planes, 
Yeah. You know, but can we pay them where they're comfortable? Yeah. Can the kids, can their kids do well? Can their kids do well? Can their kids go to school? Mm-hmm. You know, um, and not just public school, like uh, maybe they need to go to a private school. John Piper actually has a, gr- a lot to say about this. And I, I love what he has to say, but pretty much, can I be comfortable, not rich? Mm-hmm. Can I be comfortable? Bills are met and we got some savings. We're, we're able to go on a vacation and it not kill us. Yeah. You know, like that sweet spot. Uh, we still have payments to make, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. but yeah, this heart is, is so for them, for them, I, uh, my part, I use none of these rights and I'm not even writing now to, to guilt trip you, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And going, going back to the, the father analogy, like the father usually doesn't let his children or his family know about what he's going through, which obviously there's, that's a whole nother debate right. that you should, right. you should let them know when you need help. All right. Right. Um, right. Don't For be, the sake of this though, yeah. it's, it's a purest selfless yeah. action. It's like, I don't want to burden them with mm-hmm. my worries. Right. right. The, um, you know, my wife's a stay at home and I, I have to intentionally pray every day coming home from work to leave my day at the door. I cannot, I'm with teenagers all day, middle schoolers all day. I (laughs) cannot bring that frustration to my wife and daughter at home because more than likely my wife is up to here with Mm -hmm. my daughter, right? Right. She's beginning to run around. She's getting into stuff. Like uh, it's hard. And even just talking about that, like last night was, I I was there. I was like, (laughs) man, I'm, I'm, if I, if, if I put her down, if I put my daughter down and I heard her cry, I'm like, oh, Lord Jesus, please help me. Just give me some strength. Like, <laughs> it was the first time in a long time where where I I was just very frustrated and exhausted and just wanted to go to bed. Right. Um, but I have to be intentional with that. So there's that aspect of not letting them know in a, in a selfless way, like, I don't want to burden them. And so I'm right. going to take this upon myself right. and I'm going to do this on my own. And so that that becoming is what paul talks about in 19 through 23 where mm-hmm. you know to the jews i became as a jew so that i might win the jews mm-hmm. those who are under the law as as under the law and so he 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 mentions these groups of people but i thought it very interesting that that he doesn't say into the gentiles i became like a gentile right or the strong he he yeah, yeah. or the strong he actually says uh, I, I don't become as those without the law, like if I was not under the law, but he says, I'm under the law of Christ. I remain under the law of Christ. Right. Which I thought was interesting, but he is tailoring this message to a specific group of people. Mm-hmm. And he's letting them know, I have become all things. I do all these things for the sake of the, for, for the, sake of the gospel. Right. I want to make my priority becoming a fellow partaker of it right because the gospel is that beautiful that worth it right yeah i was thinking you know as he as he says i'm a slave he puts that in in that way where is that at um 21 21 22 or 22 anyways oh no uh 19 Although I am free from all and not anyone's slave, I have made myself a slave to everyone in order to win more people. Jesus, um, I was listening to MacArthur, and he brought up the verse in Mark where Jesus actually says, you need to be a slave 
Mm-hmm. And like that makes us so uncomfortable. Right. And, and MacArthur brought he's like he's like this this is what he's talking about. The slavery he he he's alluding back to the slavery in Egypt. Mm-hmm. He's alluding to the slavery of being married. He he's alluding to and Jesus is saying you can't be what I want you to be. You can't follow me unless you're going to be a slave. To everybody else and then jesus models it right and he takes mm-hmm. off his robe and he washes the feet not even just being a slave but the lowest of the low yeah and, and to think about this like I, i've i've heard i have strong opinions when especially in our modern culture people talking about making other people stumble and and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff especially and like, around the halloween time halloween time <laughs> alcohol smoking a cigar tattoos metal music you know all just a bunch of stuff and i'm like Okay, first off, when Paul's talking about stumbling, let me, <laughs> you know, I'm, no. but like here, what he's saying and what he's getting at is I'm going to tailor without, I'm not going to be schizophrenic. I'm not going to change who I am, but I'm going to temper aspects. I'm going to control certain things. Mm-hmm. I have all this freedom, right? He's uh, somewhere in here. I think it was in, in chapter eight. He's talking about the meat and the eating. Yeah. And, okay. and, and he's like, listen, like, don't ask questions. Ignorance is bliss here. That's okay. Mm-hmm. But if someone tells you, well, then don't. Yeah. And, and why not? Not that it's going gonna, it's gonna to do anything to you. But what if there's a weaker brother there? Someone who, the, the word stumbling, it's going to shake them so much so like an earthquake that's going to rip them and they're going to fall through the cracks. Mm-hmm. This isn't someone that gets, uh, excuse you. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then, but they're going to carry on living out their Christianity somewhere else. Yeah. Like this is talking about someone that it's actually going to cause them to fall away, that it's going to make them believe that Christianity and that you are, it's all a fraud. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and so he's like, control yourself for them. Um, and, and one of the things and and that clicked is, and this, they, the world will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another, mm-hmm. right? And so I'm going to care for my brother in this way. Paul's saying in order to win people, which that's a, the concept of win, uh, win people is such another topic, but yeah. I'm going to make sure that I am approachable by anyone, right? that I can meet anyone. And, and, and the line that you bring up where he says, I'm under the law of Christ is I'm doing this all within the parameters of the law of Christ. I will not betray my Lord and savior to win you over. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's what I think of like a Christian boy and girl and they start dating and then they, you know, he, he tries to like encourage her. She tries to entice him, whichever with the idea of like, well, we're going to get married anyway. So like, let's have premarital sex, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm not going to, I love you. But I'm not getting down to that level, you mm-hmm. know? I'm going to uh, remain under the law of Christ. And it would be similar to to someone trying to reach a uh, an unsafe person. And right. they, they go out a lot on Friday nights. And, right. And they decide, like, oh, I'm going to get drunk with him. I'm going to do the same activity right. with him. But right. in reality, that's not, that's not what Paul means when he says, I become all things. Right. He actually means, like, I, well, I have to remain under the law of Christ. Mm-hmm. Like, if I'm mature enough, sure. Mm-hmm. hang out with them i'll be i'll be his driver so on and so forth yeah. you know 
I'll, maybe I'll take even care of have him. a drink. Right. But I will not break the law. Yeah. I will not break the law of man, which God has called me to obey. So, you know, however much that is from my BMI and all these kinds of things, you know, yeah. if you can do that math. Uh-huh. Um, but I'm also not going to break the law of God because even if there's a designated driver that's not me, okay, I can have a drink or two, but I refuse to get drunk. I will not break the law of God. Mm-hmm. And in my self-control, I can actually witness in that. Come on, bro, have another. Come on, bro. And no, no, I'm good. Yeah. And you could you could have fun. You can enjoy that conversation. You mm-hmm. can be there for him because at the end of the day, that person is going to realize that you had fun right. without getting drunk. Right, right. And when that person, and I've, I've, I've personally witnessed this myself mm-hmm. in college, when that person hits a low, who are they going to come to? Are they going to come to the pastor who beat him over the head with the Bible? Right. Or are they going to come that come to that to you? Right. You were there for him. Right. You 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 weren't condemning of his behavior. Right. Obviously, you didn't accept it either. But at the same time, you were there. You were there for your brother. Right. Or sister. Right. And I think that that's where I think we get it so wrong. Is I've seen people show up to a, a restaurant where there's a bar, or they show up where there's a drink. And they, the way that they say that I don't drink is so condescending and condemning of the yeah. person that does. And it's like, you represent Jesus. You can just say, I don't want to drink right now. Or you know what? Not tonight. Yeah. You don't have to. Where do you get on your religious moral high horse? Like, you realize the last guy that got on his religious moral high horse got knocked off by light and he was blind. <laughs> yep. And he's actually the one that's saying that I become, you know what I mean? Like, like it's just, this is, this is how I think we witness, like when we can get caught up in evangelism. And I think that, the, you know, the, the, uh, the 60s, 70s, 80s, you know, Billy Graham, Way of the Master through Ray Comfort, you know, and those kinds of things. I think they, they which media does this, framed a way of evangelism. Mm-hmm. And I think that, it's helpful. I mean, the Harvest Crusade is all, it, it's amazing. It's beautiful. And, and, and it's, it's glory to God. And they're doing stuff in the kingdom. But I think it makes some of us average Joe Schmoes kind of think like, oh, I, I can't, I can't do that. You know, I don't know the word that well. I, 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 mm. I, I I'm terrified of public speaking, you know, yeah. but this is, are you willing to become uncomfortable while still under the law of Christ? In order to share the gospel, and by share, I mean live it out and talk about it too, but but live it out. Yeah. Meeting people where they're at. Are you willing to sit on the dirty, nasty curb next to the, the fentanyl addict mm-hmm. and love on them? Are you willing to hug them? Um, Jim Cimbala talked about this, and he said, this dirty, nasty guy, to make a long story of his short, because Jim Cimbala can go forever, mm-hmm. to make it short, this, this, this guy that was very clearly from the street, um, dirty, nasty, smelled of it, was laying in his own urine, all this stuff. You could smell the alcohol. Um, came into the service as Jim was concluding on an Easter Sunday. He gives the gospel message. He he, you know, goes for it and and gives the invitation and people get up, whatever, and he sees this guy finally standing in the aisle. He realizes this guy wants to talk to him. Now there's protocol, you know, you don't just give money out, you offer food and all this kind of stuff. Jim's like, I'm tired. I'm just going to give him money. So the guy is, is, says like, oh, I've been waiting to talk to you. And he starts to extend his hand out 
and Jim puts money in his hand and the guy smacks it out of it. He goes, I don't want your money. I want that Jesus that you were talking about. Wow. And so Jim realizes I have not loved this man. Mm -hmm. And so he breaks down crying because he realizes what a fraud he's, he's been in this moment, you know, and the other guy starts crying because, well, when the pastor starts crying, that's gotta be alarming, but he's experiencing the love of God that drew him up to this point. Mm -hmm. And he hugs Jim and Jim hugs him back. And he said that in that moment that the Lord spoke to him saying, if you're not willing to hug this smell, you're not fit to serve me. Wow. And, and I just like, I, I was, I it was actually at a class at the rescue mission and I was, I was covering for somebody, but I was taking notes and I was like, am I willing to sit on the edge of the curb, to hug the dirty nastiness that is around me, to show the love of Jesus because Jesus invaded my life and loved me and my dirty, nasty self. And mm -hmm. while I may not have physically stunk, I stunk to high heaven with all the death that was in me, mm -hmm. you know? And this is what Paul's talking about. I'm not going to allow anything in me to be this barrier to people. I'm going to be a slave to all. To the Jews, I became like a Jew. To those who are without the law, I became like one without the law. However, there's boundaries. I, I ain't offended in my Lord, you know? Mm -hmm. But to the weak, I became the weak. So that I, might, so that I may, by every possible means, save some. Yeah. That's powerful. That that imagery of the of that pastor hugging mm -hmm. that that man, and what you just said reminds me of a quote that I read uh, a little while ago. And he he's he writes, "If serving is beneath you, leading is beyond you." Ooh! If serving is beneath you, leading is beyond you. It, you, sh you shouldn't even consider it. Right. Right. Yeah. Especially in the in the, <laughs> in the economy of of God. Right. And um, last thing I, I kind of want to address with you, JT, is the is how hard that is. Oh. <laughs> how hard that is, <laughs> dude! Like because it's not it's it's our it, we're we are literally against our human nature, right? With this stuff, right? Um, we're against everything that tells us to be comfortable, right? And so I think it it only makes sense by the grace of God that Paul finishes with the imagery that he does. Mm -hmm. And that is the the imagery of running, mm. competing in the Isthmian games mm -hmm. here in Corinth, mm -hmm. training, discipline, all of the, the hard things about that. He says, he begins verse four, 24, he says, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives a prize? And then mm -hmm. he says, run in such a way that you may win. Do it. Winning is not like it's not bad, right? Right. Jesus came to save. We're we we come to win, right? That is that should be our goal, and it's not some, it's not for the for the big buck. It's for that person. It's right. for that homeless guy, right? We want to win, right? And it's not in a selfish way, not in a selfish way, but it's in a selfless way. Right. We want that guy, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's. It's, it's funny because like he, so in verse 15, he says that like, I'm not writing this, that it would be applied to my case. Now I'm not trying to guilt trip you. And, and in verse 27, this is why I'm writing it, mm -hmm. you know, um, or, or this, this 24 through 27, I'm, I'm writing it because the charge for you is to run to win. Mm -hmm. The charge for you is to live this way, you know? And so you ask the question, like, how hard is it, you know? 
Um, and I think that this this is, I don't think, I know, this is not just for the average church attender. This is not just for those who, who are curious about Christianity to hear about Christian life. It doesn't exclude pastors and leaders. This is for all of us. Yeah. You know, if, if you... If you call yourself a Christian or you want to come to know this Jesus, right? One, those of us that are Christians represent right. Mm-hmm. And, and the question, how hard is it? It's freaking hard. It's incredibly hard. It, it's, it's exhaust you in every orifice of who you are hard. So how do we begin to do it? Well, why, don't you, why don't you start with the people in your house? Mm-hmm. Why, don't you, why don't you start with the people at your job or at your school? Why don't you start with the people at your church? Right? These people that you're always around, can you become something to them? Can you meet them where they're at? Right? Can you serve them and, and not just give them a plate of food, not just like, oh, let me get that drink for you, you know, but like, no, I'm going to go out of my way to meet you because you need that conversation. I'm going to pray for you in that awkward moment where like, really want to pray because I'm all that great at No, but I'm going to pray for you. Mm-hmm. I'm going to pay for your gas. I'm going to let you borrow my car. Like like the discipleship in all of this. I'm going to watch your kids. I'm going to, yeah, <laughs> I'm going to watch your kids. You know, I, whatever it is. Like this is, this is, I'm going to meet you where you're at. You know, and we can start there. And as we grow in confidence and as we change our character, as we're transformed by the renewing of our mind, mm-hmm. right? In the, in the way that we think and perceive and see people, as that begins to transform, where I start to see the people around me that I'm always around, my brothers, my sisters, my coworkers, you know, with the love of Christ, then I will become more emboldened to serve other people. If you're starting at zero where you're realizing like, man, I don't do this. I'm, I don't meet people where they're at. The beautiful thing is, is you're still breathing. Mm-hmm. And so this is a second chance. There's a, a song lyric by the band uh, Reliant K and they say, every breath is a second chance. So you're breathing, get up and let's do this. Let's start. And well, I don't feel it. Great. I didn't ask you to feel it. And neither does God. He didn't ask you to feel it. Yeah. He asked you just to do it. And, ne- and neither does any other successful athlete. Right. You think they like getting up at five o'clock in the morning no, and work, psychos. working out two, <laughs> for two hours? Right. No, they don't like that. And I love how, how Paul brings up that athletic imagery because that's exactly what it is. Yes. Right. The, the, yes. You do not want to be self-controlled. You right. don't want to exhibit gentleness or love right. or patience or kindness or right. ne- none of those things. You don't want to, but you have to right. in order to be successful. And this is what he does. He says, therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim, I box in such a way as not beating the air, mm-hmm. but I discipline my body. I beat up my body and make it mm-hmm. my slave. I make it submit mm-hmm. so that once I walk off that pulpit, once I finish writing this letter, once I finish that counseling session, mm-hmm. I myself will not be disqualified. You right. have you have nothing against me. Right. Because right. I did this behind closed doors. I did this at right. 4 o'clock in the morning when you were sleeping. Right. I made sure that you had nothing against me. Right. So that people can witness the truth and the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right. I heard that Kobe would get into the gym an hour or two hours, something like that, before anybody. Yeah. And, and he would, from every spot he could, shoot. 
and shoot and shoot until he got good at it. And, and then everyone showed up and he would like do his own drills and all this stuff. And then everyone showed up and he did drills with everybody and then they left and he was still there mm-hmm. rocking it out. Yeah. Now I could care less about basketball. But I heard that, and I always think of that now when I read this. I always think of, I'm first in, last out, always working, you can't stop me. And so that when I show up, doesn't matter who's opposing me, doesn't matter where I'm at in the court, I'm going to make a shot. I know my way to the hoop. Mm -hmm. I've done this a million times. I could be sick, almost on the brink of death. And my muscles just know what to do because I've disciplined myself this hard. And those of us that call ourselves Christians, those of us that are leaders, are we so disciplined? Where regardless of, you know, if you you get paid to do this, this gets to be your full-time gig. Are you so disciplined where even if you're bivocational, you can do this thing? Mm-hmm. And you're you're leading, you're living out what you're preaching, you know? And then for the Christians that, that aren't leading in that way and they're congregants and they're serving in other capacities... This is what it looks like to be a Christian. Are we willing to lay ourselves down for someone else? Are we willing to love our brothers and sisters despite our differences? And if not, okay, I get you. Please chill out and mm-hmm. start. Yeah. You know, start the discipline. It's never too late. I had a buddy that I was talking to about working out and he was like, what about this diet? What about this thing? What about this? And, uh, and I was like, okay, on the diet thing, like we're going into the holidays. It's kind of a big deal for my family. So yeah. we're going to ease up on yeah. that. Don't let me slip through the cracks when the new year comes around. You yeah. know? And then and he was like, for sure, do push-ups though. He's like, he's like you get a craving for something sweet or something, you know, as a middle, just, just hammer them out. He's like, you'll start to, to change the habit and your relationship with food and boredom and all these other things. And I was just like, I'm going to go talk about discipline. And here you are already talking about, I'm like, dang it. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. We, I, I think it's a helpful reminder that this is something that will never go away. Mm-mm. This, this prize, right. this prize is something that, you know, you mentioned Kobe and, and, you know, obviously like when we think of, of, of sports, and specifically Kobe in basketball, um, it can seem very selfish, right? It, he's like, yeah, like he's doing that so that he may win. He's doing that so that um, he may win a championship. But at the same time, although he may be doing it for himself, he's doing it for those the guys next to him. Right. I'm, oh, good point. I'm going to show up for you guys. Right. Right. And yes, sure. Absolutely. I want to wear that gold medal. Heck but at the same time. I need you to know that I'm going to be here for you. I love and respect you guys so much so. And I care for this team as a collective whole. And what our goal is, I am going to be so disciplined and work so hard to be the best me, to guard your back, to help us drive forward together. Yeah. Yep. Oh my gosh. That's a good point, dude. And that's chapter nine. Amen. (laughs) thank you bro i really appreciate you taking the time this was beautiful amen thank you for having me i really appreciated it thank you so much for tuning in if you want to know more about the podcast you can find us on instagram and twitter if you listen on spotify make sure you follow click the bell icon to get notifications for new episodes and if you truly enjoy this content and want to go the extra mile to support us become a subscriber for only 4.99 a month and you will get exclusive access to subscriber only episodes If you listen on Apple Podcasts, it would be awesome if you could rate and review the show if you haven't already. 
Thank you all for listening. I'm your host, Chris Mears. And I'm JT Smith. Grace and peace, family. Thank you.